What's up, Atlanta sports fans? I'm Graham Waldrop, and alongside me, as always, is Adam Kalal, and we are Atlanta Zone. Two Atlanta natives recapping the week that was in Atlanta professional sports, wacky-ass hijinks, and analysis. Adam, how's it going, sir? Oh, Graham, it's, it's going pretty good. Um, I was just saying I'm staring at some weird dot instead of your beautiful face right now, but I'm, I'm like, making eye contact with it as well, and I can't stop. Um, but we're doing another remote show. Um, yeah. Which I guess is what a lot of people do nowadays with uh, In the podcast business. Yep. Yeah, with internet and all that and that capability. But it, it's still a little strange. But hey, we'll, uh, you had to go to do a failed North Florida crusade and almost get COVID. So yeah, or maybe I, I did. That's the reason we're, uh, we're separated today. So a lot of people in the, in the Honda dealership while waiting for the flat to get fixed were not wearing masks. No one really came up to us, but you never know. And then the guy who had been wearing a mask the whole time and interacted with us decided to take his mask off when he was giving us the bill. And then the guy who gave us the keys to the car had no mask on. So it was like, okay. Well, you got, you, you got to take the mask off in order for people to hear you. Everyone knows that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's just like those NFL referees this weekend, you know, taking off their masks to announce the whatever the call was. Well, with the, hilarious. With the NFL piece, I don't understand why they have. Are they strictly wearing masks because of optics? Like they everyone there has been tested. They're somewhat in a bubble. What's the point of the masks? I know McVeigh got yelled at on Sunday for having his down half the time. Yeah, I think it was it was it's kind of funny, too, with baseball as well. Um, you know, they get tested every day and yet, you know, Snitker, a lot of the managers wear masks and maybe that's just their own personal protection. They're trying to just be doubly safe. I don't know. Uh, Snitker's not wearing that Andy Reid mask though. That's what I want to see next. Baseball managers need to start wearing those during the postseason for sure. Yeah. Those Andy Reid masks. Yeah. Hilarious. Gotta be, gotta be sure everything, attach it to your hat, runs all the way down. You're covered. You can do whatever you want. Yeah breathe really hard into it and then you won't be able to see anything by the end of the first inning plus baseball managers don't really need to do anything nowadays since there's universal dh so he doesn't need to see what's going on right doesn't you really need to start paying attention to the third inning when we have to take out a starter and put into our excellent bullpen exactly it was a rough week one for the falcons amateur. Should we just start with the falcons and just get it over with rip the band-aid off yep gotta start there Let's start with the positives, Adam. I know I never like to do this, but you know what? I'm trying to incorporate more positive affirmations into my life, even when uh, things aren't great with uh, some scenarios. So let's start with the positives. Let's start with the pass rush. Well, let's first start off with maybe just overview of the game. The Falcons lost 38-25 to to the Seahawks. Um, it was competitive in the first half, 14-12 to at halftime. Uh, the Seahawks were up. Second half, not so competitive. So... A lot of garbage time stats and scoring for the Falcons. And they and even with all that, they still lose at home by 13 points. So pretty miserable day of football overall. Yeah, it was really disappointing uh, personally as well. Uh, I set up a nice little backyard tailgate. Uh, it had two TVs going. Brought the big guy out for the Falcons game. Had some people over to grill and, you know, hang out outside. And I spent most of the first half freaking schlupping around like I'm a bar or something, making grilling food and getting people things. And I wasn't able to sit down and actually enjoy a lot of the first half where we actually played like a decent football team. So then I snuggled into my chair for the second half and literally within the first, what, two possessions, everything just went to complete shit and we're down like three scores. Um yeah, like you said, there were that first half there were some positives. That pass rush was nice. Tack coming out like that. They I mean they hit they hit the quarterback ten times for the day. That's something we haven't seen in a long time. Um Yeah, we recorded three sacks as well, all that coming in the first half. One by Tack, sack and a half by Grady, and a half sack by Dante Fowler. So we were get yeah, like you said, getting after Russell Wilson. Um and we knew going into the game that Wilson was one of the most sacked quarterbacks in the league last year, sacked 48 times. Um, but regardless of whether or not the offensive line is any good in Seattle, it was nice to see us actually pressuring the quarterback with our core pass rushing and not having to blitz in order to create pressure. Right. So if you want to take the rosy look at this loss, which I generally do, but I don't feel it now, but uh, you could just say, look, 
we didn't have any um no preseason games we made some mental errors that can be tightened up once again we're out coached which happens a lot over the dan quinn era but uh you know maybe they're gonna make the adjustments they see what they've done wrong they gotta put a little more attention on these cornerbacks and help them out so they're not one-on-one with guys like dk metcalf and uh you know they're gonna come out strong against dallas sunday graham and uh you know we're gonna get back to one and one no problem it's just one loss yeah you don't have to think about how this team looked exactly like they did last year and the year before with just mental errors not being able to finish drives receivers wide open for the opposing teams um Missed tackles left and right. That's not a concern, Graham. It's just 0-1. It's one loss. We're good. That's one way to look at it. You can also look at it as the secondary is incredibly vulnerable. Russell Wilson only threw four incompletions throughout the entire game. 31 of 35, 322 yards, four touchdowns. Uh, That's about as good as you can do it. And he did this all with... You know, the front seven containing the Seahawks rushing attack. Uh, they only tried to rush the ball 20 times. They were held to 84 yards as a team, you know. and But it didn't matter because they didn't really need to, to run the football because the secondary was just getting torched. I mean, it, it was – I think the lack of a preseason hurts the secondary more than anything because, as we mentioned on the preview show last week, is that this team is so young in the secondary, particularly with the cornerbacks, that – it's just like throwing them onto the field, especially going up against guys like Tyler Lockett and Metcalf, is is brutal. And you know they they were they all of them were abused. Um, in particular, Isaiah Oliver on a really critical fourth down, fourth and five, when you know the once again we're getting pressure on Russell Wilson. Brought up a fourth down, and Pete Carroll decides to go for it. And not only does do they get the first down, they get the touchdown just because of some really horrendous coverage by Isaiah Oliver. And A.J. Terrell was burned a lot. It was it was just a miserable game for the secondary. And, it's, and you don't put this loss entirely on the secondary, but defensively, it was the Achilles heel of week one for the Falcons, no doubt. Well, what do you think about them having Oliver on Metcalf all day instead of putting your number one draft pick over them there and kind of throw him into the fire? Like, well, I, it's it's interesting because Metcalf had a what I would consider was not a great year last year. He's definitely you know Lockett Tyler Lockett was definitely the number one, number one receiver for them. Um, and but but you know a lot of people were saying this is the year Metcalf's really going to bust out, and so far you know if Week One's any indication, he might have a big season. Was tied for the team lead in targets with eight, with along with Lockett. I don't know. It, I mean, it was clear though that Metcalf had a huge size advantage on um, on Oliver. And it would have been nice to see Terrell at least shadow him somewhat or get some safety help. I just felt like there was no safety help. Like you were saying, it was just one-on-one, um, just getting totally burned. It was, it was like, I, I do not understand this, this strategy by, by, by Quinn and Raheem Morris to leave these guys on an island against two really good receivers. Yeah, and and to be if we're being honest, like, Seattle's offense isn't like what we're going to see from a lot of other teams this year. Like they play it pretty straightforward. Um, it seemed like they did make a point, and this is what Raheem Morris was saying was that they were prepared for Chris Carson, and like Seattle historically pounds the ball on the ground, and then we'll air it out. But they they've been kind of pushing for this release Russell Wilson thing, and we we saw that this week for sure. So that's the excuse, the coaching excuse that. We were prepared a lot more for the running game and weren't prepared for some of these looks um, with the passing game. But that's just pathetic, you know, to me. That's a pathetic excuse. Yeah. Like Russell Wilson is undoubtedly a top five quarterback in the NFL. If you're not as prepared for him as you are for the rushing attack, particularly Chris Carson isn't like an elite back or anything. I mean, Jesus God, Russell Wilson has won single handedly so many games for the Seahawks. Like he's got to be, you know, the number one objective is to shut him down. Oh, like you, that, that just that already makes me lose even more confidence in this team. I didn't really have much left to lose. This, this is, that's just pathetic, Raheem. That's pathetic. Well, yeah, they're saying they didn't 
because of that, they weren't able to disguise some of their looks on defense as well as they could have and blah, 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 blah. Well, it's just it's just more bullshit excuses. Excuses. That's pathetic. The, the problem with this team, and that's why I said getting off to a good start is just so crucial here, is because we still have that one and seven taste in our mouth. And you know that Dan Quinn is on the hottest of seats. So even one loss is just like you feel it a lot more than you would would a normal 0-1 start because you, you don't feel like our coaching is going to be able to get us out of this. Like I, I think we have some good personnel out there um, for the most part, but it just seems like every week we're out coached somewhere. Like Yeah, not not just on the defensive side of the ball either. I mean, offensively, you know, the offense couldn't get anything going to the second quarter, and they're already down 14-3. to three. So... You know, defense stepped up second quarter. Seahawks didn't score at all. Um, actually forced, I think, at least one three and out, which was nice to do, uh, nice to see. But, you know, the offense was just very predictable play calling by Dirk Cutter again. Just throw the ball a bunch. I hate these two tight end sets where he's taking receivers off the field. There was, like, some pass to Luke Stocker or something, and it was just like, what the hell are we even targeting him for? Oh, he's trying to be like, Shanahan. Shanahan going to Sabine Toilolo. I, I don't I just don't like Dirk Cutter calls a very vanilla offense. Not a lot of emphasis on the, the rushing attack. I mean, the thing that was also frustrating, even though I know we went down big in the third quarter, was even early on we weren't trying to run the ball. And Gurley, I think, got most I think got fifty one of his fifty six yards in the first half rushing the football. He didn't look terrible. No, he looked pretty good. I mean, he, he had some some push to him. He um he converted a third down in the red zone for a touchdown. That's a miracle. Where normally we'd probably be stuffed. Yeah. Uh, the offensive line was opening some holes. But, like, when you fall behind like that and, like, he just always goes away from the rushing attack. I mean, you understand why. And it's like, do we need to work the opposite way? Start off with this hot passing attack and then work the rushing attack off of that maybe? I don't know. I think that might be a – well, maybe, but I don't know. I mean, he's still – I'm not sure what the answer is because it, it it would be nice. I don't know. It would be great if this week we just come out with like a two minute offense or something, kind of like how we were doing with with Seattle once we got into you know late in the third quarter, early fourth quarter. Yeah, I mean, you know, we're just coming out throwing a lot, throwing fast passes. I mean, you look at, I mean, the thing that's pathetic, right, is that you had three receivers in Julio, Calvin, and Russell Gage that eclipsed 100 yards receiving. We had 500, I think, and 26 yards of total offense, and yet we only scored 25 points, and the majority of those points were bullshit. I mean, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it, it is classic us. We move, I mean, we, we move the ball fine. It's just you stall out, someone makes a dumbass decision. I mean, you can, you can put this game on a few huge plays that killed us. The third and 23 in the first quarter after we come out with a field goal, defense looks like they could stop him and then ricardo allen commits the ridiculous pass interference call and they score a touchdown off there so i mean that completely changes the outlook of the game and then yeah the fourth the fourth and five that you mentioned as well and then we're just chasing him after that i mean that's 14 points right there off the board in the first half and we were still i mean we were down 14 12 like we just got to eliminate that shit. Yeah, eliminate that shit. And then we also got to mention 0 for 4 on fourth down attempts for the Falcons. Well, and then that, that's the other play, the fake punt, where it, yes. a, it actually worked out. But then Sherrod Neeson, and, I mean, it was a great tackle by the dude. He attacked the ball, but um, fumbling it is just a killer. Maybe, yeah, you can't fumble in that scenario. Like, that, that, that was a backbreaker, 100%. And I told you this because actually I was actually on the road for that part of the game, and Mike Conti was filling in on the radio call for West Durham, um, and it was so funny hearing because he'd never called a Falcons game before, and he was just like, "And here's the snap. It's a fake. It's a fake, and he's gonna get the first down. The Falcons have a first down. Can you believe it? They converted a fake punt." And then Archer's just in the background. He just goes, "He fumbled it." <laughs> And then Mike Conley's like, and the ball's on the ground, and the Seahawks have it, the Seahawks have it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> that, 
That sounds just like me. I was sitting up next to the TV, saw the scenario. I was like, we should fake it here. We should fake it. And then they do fake it. I was like, they did fake it. He got it. He got it. I'm like, turn around, smiling at everyone, all excited. And then Drew's just like, yeah, you fumbled it, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, oh, oh, no. That did not go the way I wanted to. Yeah, that was rough. And then, but then just like every other, we tried to convert fourth down three more times, could not do it. One of those was also a sack in the third quarter, which was brutal, which was another backbreaker. Um, that we gave up and I just don't know, like there, there's a really sick part of me, Adam, and you know, me, like, you know, my, my adoration for Matt Ryan and, and Julio and Grady, you know, our best players, there's a really sick part of me that wants to just trade everybody and say, fuck it. And just completely nuke the franchise and just rebuild from the ground up. Like new coaches, Arthur Blank, sell the team. New player, like fuck it, like I'm, I'm just, I've, I've kind of had it up to here with everything. Because even like, even Matt Ryan, I think shoulders some blame here in the sense that it's like, for whatever reason, when we get in the red zone, particularly post the Super Bowl season, we are just inefficient in the red zone. We can move the ball all we want, but once we get to the twenty, it's like, what, what the hell needs to happen? Like, what the hell needs to happen for us to be a more efficient red zone team? We have Todd Gurley now. We have Calvin Ridley, Julio Jones. Hayden Hurst, which I know isn't like in the same category as those guys, but I mean, there are good offensive pieces here. Is it Cutter? Is it Matt? I mean, Matt is one of the worst quarterbacks I've ever seen in my life, throwing fade routes to receivers in the in the end zone. He's been horrible at that his his entire career. It's never been good. Um, if he's going to hit somebody with a touchdown, it's going to be in front of him. He can't throw a fade route to save his life. And it's like, what what the hell prevents? just Matt and the offensive unit from being efficient in the red zone. I, I don't get it. If it's him or Cutter or what, but it's it's very frustrating to see the amount of talent that we have. And I know the offensive line is still, you know, working the kinks out sometimes, but a lot, I got to put a lot of blame on Matt with our, and, and Dirk Cutter with our inefficiencies in the, in the red zone. Do you give Cutter some slack because he's not running his offense? Like... I mean, no, he's yeah, he's he, a bad. He's, he's attempting bad to run an offense that he's not comfortable with. Like, yeah, he, I mean, it's a bad fit. It, it's it's square peg round hole bullshit stuff. It's like Dan Quinn's head coaching career could just come down to a couple of bad hires as offensive yeah. coordinators and Sarkeesian and now Cutter for sure. Um, well, Graham, let's take let's take a. Um, we didn't do this in our preview show, but now that it's we're 0-1, and, and it appears you're ready for the rebuild after being 0-1. So, I know I'm, 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 I'm having a knee-jerk reaction, but, I mean, how can you watch that game and not just feel like, you know, what's going to change? How's it going to get better? In fairness, we looked better in this. We always suck in week one, and we looked a lot better in this week one than, than we did last year's week one against the Vikings. I guess. I mean, we had a good second quarter. I guess that's all you can really say. Like, that's it, honestly. Because the first quarter sucked for the, the offense. Second quarter was good on both sides of the ball. I mean, yeah, they were, overall. They were. But you still got. All, you're still down 14 to 3. You're still sleepwalking through, through the first quarter. Here's the problem. Even though it was, it was a better game than the Vikings game last year, no doubt. But Jesus. So that's something know. positive. I guess, so, but it's like it's it's like a reduced version of of last year's game. So now that you've seen a game, I want to go through the schedule up into the bye, and we'll talk through it. But let's see what we th- predict our schedule is going to be up to the bye. All right, we have a bye, Adam, and let's see. Let's week week ten is here. our bye. Week ten is our bye. So, okay. All right. So so we played Dallas. Yep. Da- next week, Dallas. This week, what do you think there? Or this week, yeah. I think we lose that game. I think Dallas, even though they have issues in their secondary, I think this is going to be a shootout. They have issues in their secondary. I think they have a slightly better defense, and um, I think their receivers and Zeke are just going to destroy us. I think Dak's going to destroy us. I think. I think it'll be a high. I think it's going to be like that Texans game last year where we put up we we put up like thirty eight points or whatever, but we gave up like 
50 or whatever the hell it was. It's going to be something like that. It's going to be like 51 to 38 or something. Yeah. I mean, they're going to lose this game. They've got arguably better playmakers than the Seahawks did. And Russell Wilson went 30 of 34. And right. Dak is arguably just as good as him, if not better. I don't know if I put him the same, I say as good as him, but he's, you know, he's, he's a very good quarterback. He had a great season yeah. last year. All right. So, 0 and 2. That, that's, that's a tough start. We got the, the, yeah. the Bears week three at home. Can we win that, that one? That just looks like a classic game that we would lose, you know, <laughs> but we should win that game. All right, so we'll, 100%. We'll say one and two, right? Yeah. If we lose to Mitchell Trubisky and go 0-3. Dan Quinn's got to be fired. Dan Quinn's fired, yeah. We'll say that much. Yeah. Uh, week four at Green Bay, that's got to be a loss, right? Oh, yeah. No doubt. And did you see, like, the clinic that Monday night. Aaron Rodgers and, Aaron Rodgers and uh, what's his name, Devontae Adams put on last week? I mean, it was absurd. Like Devontae Adams might have four receiving touchdowns. Their defense, their defense is kind of trash, though. So it could be another shootout. But I think it will be a shootout once again. It'll be it'll be like the Texans from last year, like fifty-one to thirty-eight. Okay, so that's one and three. Yeah, uh, all the first quarter of the year. Week week five, Carolina at home. They looked better than you would think, but can we win that one? I think we can give ourselves a win there. Okay, two and three. That's progress sure uh week six at minnesota i didn't see what minnesota did their their secondary is not what it was their secondary is awful um i think we actually have a shot in that game wow so but potentially three and three potentially we have a shot i don't, I don't know if i give us well you know what let's just say for the sake of argument give, give us the win week seven detroit at home you should win you should win that we're four and three baby oh baby Carolina, Carolina, five. Three? Actually, let, let's go back at them. Let, let's say we lose Denver, to the Vikings. Denver, Grant, we're six and three. Go to the buy now. No, let's, let's say five and four. Let's say we lose the, the the Minnesota game. Okay, so five and four is what we're thinking could happen, which actually makes me feel better because I was just thinking of the one and three start and how terrible that's going to be. But happens. here's the thing. If you start one and three, do you think this team has the mental fortitude to come back and, and get yourself to five and four? That the Bears game is huge and that Panthers game is huge. Yeah, those are two games you should win on paper for sure. OK, I, I feel I, this helps me, though. I feel a little less doom and gloom for when we lose on Sunday. Um. But, uh, you know what, if we lose on Sunday, I hope we lose like it was close. We lost by three points, lost by a touchdown. You know, it was like it was a competitive game. I do not want to get in a scenario where we lose by double digits again. Are you kidding um, me with this closing, though? Like week, week 15, Tampa Bay, although Tampa Bay didn't impress me from what I saw on Sunday. Um, 16 at Arrowhead Stadium and then week 17, Tampa Bay again. That's tough, Graham. I, I still think we're we're screwed. We're a we're a six and six and ten is the floor, seven and nine is the ceiling. <laughs> so what you're saying is we we're, we're either going to be six and ten, or seven or nine. Yeah, there's, there's no, no no way we're worse you, than that. No way we're better than that. Yep. So we're picking like thirteen, something like that. Fourteen. Yeah, we're picking fourteenth again. Um, you know, we'll bring Dan Quinn back. We'll have a strong way, strong uh, end of the year, and for the sake of continuity, Arthur Blank will bring him back. But honestly, all it would have taken was one year of us like just being dog shit bad record wise. Like, did you see what Chase Young did? No, he was a game changer. Yeah, Chase Young, the guy who went number one, who we had dreams of because we started one and seven. He had one and a half sacks and a forced fumble in his first NFL game. And the Washington football team pulled the huge upset over the Eagles. So all it takes is like one year of being the worst team and getting a complete game changer like that versus all these mid-round picks that we keep picking up that are hit or miss. Um, yeah, I mean, you think you think San Francisco did the same thing when they, you know, were in the cellar for a couple of years and really built up their defense. Now they have arguably the best defense in the league. But then again, we'd probably be more like Jacksonville, who has done nothing with all their top picks. Yeah, it always comes down to who your scouts and general manager is. Yeah. 
or are. Um, I don't know. And we look at Dallas. Dallas had a pretty close game with with the Rams. Um, Rams last week. We know we got to watch out for Zeke Elliott, Michael Cooper, C.D. Lamb, Michael Gallup's no joke either. You know, Dak is coming to his own. Um, I think it's going to be a long day at the office office for this defense. Well, if we keep get, if we keep getting that pressure and they make some adjustments in the secondary, I mean, we've got some good safeties back there. Let them help these young cornerbacks out. What I'd like to see, I don't know. Like, have you ever seen the Falcons try to double team somebody in the history of your life watching the Falcons? No, because the camera is going to be on the other side of the field where someone else is wide open for a sixty-yard touchdown. I guess, but I don't know. I mean, like, I'd like to just see what that would look like if we tried to take away you know, Metcalf last week or something. Take away Cooper. Make the rookie C.D. Lamb beat you. You know, it's just like we never try doing that. It's just generic bullshit coverage. Um, I, I was listening to um, I don't know. the Falcoholic, and they were it – was, it was a big bitch session such as this, and their big complaint was how Dan Quinn's defenses – he always keeps the same cornerbacks on the same side of the field – so, like, even when Trufant was almost a lockdown quarterback, they would not have him follow the other team's best receiver, and he would always be. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's always a predictable defense. So, I mean, that's all kind of, the time with, with how the coverage is. So, that's kind of like what that's why there's like, okay, let's just put Metcalf on the other side of the field then, away from this guy who's probably, this rookie who's probably better than Oliver. And uh, yeah, we won't have to worry about it. So yeah, it, it, it. I mean, it's just another reason why you just got to get this guy the hell out of town. I mean, here's my thing too. It's like Arthur Blank's 77 years old. He's no spring chicken. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Is he getting sentimental in his old age or what? Does he want to win? Doesn't seem like he wants to win. Doesn't seem like he gives a shit anymore about the Falcons. You see, Mike Mike Conti read uh, Arthur Blank's book. Maybe we should read that, Graham. It seemed uh, you might get into his head a little bit. Maybe. I just think he's he's got a, a personal attachment now to Dimitrov and Quinn, and he values that more over trying to win football games, particularly with Quinn. It's like, what in the hell? Well, it would be different if we had won the Super Bowl. If we had won the Super Bowl, okay, I, I'm more in line of trying to give Dan Quinn a chance. But well, well, you, the uh, proof is in the pudding in that fucking game. Well, you understand it, though, because Dan Quinn's the only guy that's gotten us there since 1998, and a lot of the same pieces are still there. So you understand the sentiment of trying to let this guy put it all together. Like, but if but got, you also got to understand that the, once, why can't he do it again? Well, because you look at the last two years and what, ha- what has happened and how horrible we've been. Or not horrible, but just incredibly mediocre. Well, injuries have been a big factor as well. True, but I mean, like, you talk about getting out coached. Like, if we can see that Dan Quinn is out coached every week, why can't he? Yeah, I mean, if he, you know, what are we? And like, like you said, I think also Quinn hiring Sark and Cutter was the dumbest thing he could possibly do. Like, he is horrible at picking out coaches. Yeah, really, just the lack of. I mean, you look at the lack of halftime adjustments is mind boggling. Like, you look at the Washington football team; they get a real football coach in Ron Rivera. They're down seventeen nothing at half to the Eagles and they come back and win the ball game. Like make adjustments. Like you're, yeah. you're not out of it just cause we get down quick. You don't have to be predictable and just throw the ball nonstop. Like all it takes is a couple stops and not having a 60 yard pass interference call. Yeah. I mean, that could definitely drastically change the game, but I still think the biggest the biggest issue we're going to have all year is this offense just not scoring enough points, even though they'll put up numbers, and the secondary just being way too young. So, sounds like a certain um, baseball team I know as well. But we'll see, Graham. End, end of week one, we could come back and beat Dallas and be feeling good about ourselves all of a sudden. I just put up like a 40-burger and win like 40-7 to seven or something, and then it's like, oh, well, you know. We're going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Fuck Drew Brees. Fuck Tom Brady. (laughs) We're coming for all of you. Dude, that was the most conflicted I've ever been, and that's why I needed you there week one. And I I know I called you, but I was like, I don't know who to cheer for in this game. I hate Tom Brady. I think I hate the Saints more. 
but it's tough. Oh, yeah, you got to hit the Saints more. It's tough. It, 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 was, it was tough, but I, I definitely did not want the Saints to win just because for as much as we hate Tom Brady, it's not Tom Brady's fault that we lost the Super Bowl. So Drew Brees has killed us for however long he's been with the Saints, 15 years at this point. Um, I am not interested in seeing them have any success. So I was definitely pulling for the Bucks in that game. But, yes, it did feel very strange for sure. There's a lot of hate. But we yeah. got we got plenty of hate to go around. Nothing but hate and contempt when you're an Atlanta sports fan. Here, here. Although, not too much hate should be thrown at the Braves, I guess, in the last uh, last week or so. Adam, do you want to kick off your standard, customary recap, and we'll try to keep it to uh, you know maybe a couple minutes as opposed to thirty eight last week. Yeah, let's try to tone that back a notch. All right. So since it's been a minute since we've been here, I'm going to do the quickest of recaps. Uh, since we last talked, we took this was on the 4th of September. We split a series against the Nationals, lost the first two games to the Marlins, and then did just casually on Roberto Clemente Day, Set the National League record for runs scored, beating the Marlins 29-9. to Also of note, that game was the last time that you will ever see our big um, midseason acquisition of this year, Tommy Malone in a Braves uniform. Despite being staked to a 14-run second inning, he gave up eight runs. Uh, we followed that up with the Nationals, where we... Took an easy three out of four from them. And Nationals, I mean, they, they've got, what, two weeks to try to figure this out and get back in the playoffs, but they are hurting real bad. Uh, we're currently in a series against the Orioles. We lost 14-1. to Tukey time is officially over, Graham. We're not going to see Tukey in the majors again this year. Jesus. That guy needs this year, yeah. <laughs> that guy needs to just spend some time in AAA when they're actually playing games and not simulated games. Uh, he just hasn't figured it out. But then we followed it up with the game last night on Tuesday the 15th, which was one of the more enjoyable baseball games I've watched in a while. Um, and I'll go a little more in-depth in this since it's fresh in my mind. Uh, Waskar Yanoa got the start. And I really like this kid. Like, out of He's had his ups and downs this year as well, but he just seems to have the most poise out of these young guys this year. And minus Ian Anderson, of course, but he throws up to 98. His slider is nasty and he just doesn't ever look like the moment's too big. And last night he was cruising four innings, two hits, five strikeouts, zero walks, which is huge. And he only had 49 pitches. But then, of course, because it's 2020 and we're the Braves in 2020, his back flares up and he can't at least get through the five innings and get the most important of stats, a win. But it was just such an enjoyable game to watch. Uh, we got an early run from Freeman. Your boy Duvall, who we'll have to get into a little more, hit another bomb because that's what he does. But then this bullpen comes in. O'Day. One inning pitch, zero run, one strikeout. Uh, Will Smith, one inning, same exact line. Chris Martin, who I'm arguing is the most dominant reliever in baseball right now with his .6 ERA, one inning. just He gave up a hit, but then Shane Green comes in, one inning, zero hits, zero box. I mean, zero walks, one strikeout, and Melanson closes it out. Um so it just gives you a sign, like if we can just get a starter to give us four solid innings, our bullpen is disgusting. And that, and that doesn't even include Binter coming in there. Like there's still more guns in that pen. Um, it was a fun game to watch. I, I appreciate a 29-9 to win, but just a nice, compact three-hour game, some good, great pitching, timely offense, very fair. Well said. Yeah, that was that was a nice game to watch last night for sure. In particular, just because um, you know there's a while there it was, it was two nothing in the seventh inning. It was it just felt like an antiquated 
you know, mid nineties baseball game where it's just a lot of good pitching, a couple of base hits, you know, a lot of uh times the side was retired in order. But you also felt not, when it was two nothing, you also felt like with our bullpen, like I'm not worried. Like remember oh, la- yeah, remember no, last year Luke Jackson's our closer for a while? Like that no, was awful. I'm also really glad that Snickers started to use Luke Jackson properly when we're either losing or up big. Yeah. As opposed to using him in high leverage situations. Yeah, I don't think I'm we're going to see He's finally realized that. Yeah. He might not make the playoff roster at this point. No, I don't think you need him. So Particularly me, with the emergence of Mentor. Let me ask you this, Graham. Would you rather have a much more solid starting rotation going to the playoffs, but a terrible bullpen or a lot of question marks like we currently have, but a shutdown bullpen, which do you feel? I think, better I'd, rather su- I think I'd still rather have like a shutdown road like a three headed monster. If you give me a three headed monster, I'll take that every day of the week because the problem is, is that if, you know, our starter, you know, one of our starters doesn't do well and, you know, he could get shelled for three runs early. If you're facing a really great, Pitcher on the other side of the of, of the rubber, like a Kershaw, who is having a great season at him, even though I know you don't think he is, you know, you could be totally fucked. So, I mean, there's pros and cons to either way, but I would still rather have a three-headed monster than a uh, lights-out bullpen. So let's – obviously we've talked about this rotation a ton, but let's talk about where it stands now. And tonight's a big night because what you said was never going to happen. It's happening tonight. Cole Hamels is making his long-awaited Atlanta Braves appearance. Uh, he's starting tonight, supposed to pitch 50 to 60 pitches since this episode. will obviously be out afterwards. I'll go ahead and predict that he he's going to go four innings, give up two runs, three strikeouts. Same. Three strikeouts, well, one I don't walk. Know. I, think, I think he's actually going to do really well. And this is based off of just watching the Orioles struggle last night um, and where they are as an offense. I also know I've also been following the Orioles not only just because, you know, Lex is an Orioles fan, but I have two Orioles on my fantasy baseball team. And as an offense, they are just scuffling. Other than that Iglesias guy who just can't seem to be gotten out. But uh, they are not doing so hot. Their best player, Anthony Santander, is out on the IL. He's not going to come back. Um, by tonight. So I think that's our last game of the Orioles is tonight. So even though I know they put up 14 runs in that, that first game, overall they have, they've been you know on the downturn. They lost five in a row uh, before the Braves series. I think Cole Hamels throws three innings, no runs, two Ks, and a walk in his, in his debut and looks decent. Which we- Is that going to translate to further success? I don't know, but I think he will have a, a good debut tonight. But it's at least promising to see. So where we stand now, if we're talking playoff rotation, this is the type of time of year you do that. Obviously, you got Freed. You yeah, hope Freed comes back Friday, right? Yep, Freed's back Friday, which I think that missing a couple starts was probably a great thing for him. That was a lot of pressure for him to have to live up to as being our only real starting pitcher. Um, so I bet he comes back fresh. And throwing like Max Freed. So we got Freed, Hamels, who can they're hoping will build up to 90 pitches by playoff time. Which, like I said, we just need five innings. If that. And then Ian Anderson, he came back from his, his one bad start of his career to throw seven shutout one-hit innings against the Nationals the other night where that one hit was a little a bunt single so that's a great sign you're starting to feel pretty confident when he ends on the mound and Kyle Wright actually had a good start as well what do you go six innings I believe three runs yeah and he, he struggled a little bit with his command and he got really bitten by the the home run ball his start before but it was nice to see him actually get a chance to go back out there again and not get sent down to the minor leagues uh, because he was able to build off that last start. He didn't make as many bad pitches with his breaking balls. Because, like, in that, that first start, I think it was against the Marlins, um, you know, he gave it four home runs. And, you know, his his stuff was okay, but, like, when he made a mistake, it was just absolutely polarized, and he was just leaving these 
meatballs, these slow off-speed pitches just hanging there, and they were just getting slaughtered. But you didn't see that as much. He still had some control issues, certainly, but um, looked a lot better and was able to build off his, his previous start, and hopefully that continues through the rest of the year. But, I mean, I, I think, in my opinion, you got to, if we're talking about playoffs, and the Braves' magic number is down to seven now, so they're all but assured at least a playoff spot. Um, if you're talking about playoffs, I think you have to do uh, Freed game one. Anderson has to go game two. Don't don't make the the fucking Dallas Keuchel mistake. Here's like I I would rather have a guy who has performed really well the whole season than a guy who is hasn't pitched all year and fuck his experience and all that shit like. Unless he's just absolute daggers and builds up nine pitches and in his like first half Cole Hamels last year, he he's got to fight for his he's got to fight for his postseason rotation spot. It is not guaranteed. Oh, it's pretty much guaranteed. I mean, <laughs> who else he got? So, I, yeah, hell, man, Wasker, you know a fastball and ninety-eight mile an hour fastball and slider. I mean, shit. Yeah, you got- like, what if Hamels comes in? It's just absolute dog trash. Yeah, I mean, and he's you know can't get anybody out. Yeah, so it's Noah and Tomlin, I, I, and I don't want to go Tomlin at this point with the way he's showing. But um, yeah, he's sort of falling off a cliff. The, a little the bit. problem is so for there we're talking about the three game series where game two could be an elimination game, or well, it's going to be an elimination game either way, either for us or them. So right, I agree with you. Got to go Ian Anderson there. Um, but what came out this week, which is huge in terrible ways for us is that they're doing a bubble for the division series, the championship series. And that's going to change up the schedule. World series will be a normal schedule, but there's going to be no off days for the division series or the championship series. Yeah. So you're not going to be able to like pick pitch next freed on, Three days rest or whatever. Yeah. Right. I mean, he could. So, he, but. so in theory, you have to have four guys, and then Freed can come back and pitch game five. Right. Which but sucks. I think let's 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 get there first before we worry about that. Sure. As, as we know, Adam, we haven't won a playoff round since 2001. It's a good point, Graham. And we have to go through the wild card round first. And you know who we have to play, Adam, if the season ended today? The Cardinals. We have to play the Cardinals. Who, who have played, like, 10 fewer games than us at this point. Yep. Which doesn't really matter, but you know what? I want the Cardinals. We can beat the Cardinals, Graham. I would like revenge. It'll I be really str- would. It, What's What's going to be another weird factor for this year is unless you're, we're playing a division team, chances are we haven't played that team all year. That's going to be strange. It's, it's, oh, yeah. I mean, it's more be, than it's likely. Be, I mean... It's going to be like travel ball when we've been at Menlot Park playing all all spring, and then we go and play all these teams in, like, Winder, Georgia or something that we've never seen before, and you get intimidated because they got some big guy that pitches for them. Yeah, and throws what you think is, like, 100 miles an hour, but it's really, like, 70. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, it'll be a little... It will be a little strange. I mean, right now the Marlins are slated to go to the playoffs as as the five seed, and so are the Phillies at seven. So I would rather see one of them for sure, if possible. I'm impressed but, with those Marlins. Like, I mean, they've got some good arms now. All those trades, they've got enough out of it. And, you know, they've kind of had this mantra, why not us all year? And, I mean, they've been – they're actually a quality ball team that could make some noise. Yeah, I mean they've been they've been very pesky, for sure. Yep, all season. Uh, we talk about your boy Freddie Freeman for a second, Adam. Sure. Uh, yeah, so Freddie Freeman has just been on an absolute tear recently. Um, pretty much since August, he's just gotten absurdly hot. He's slashing three fifty two, four sixty five, six fifty three. He's been worth two point four wins and wins above replacement. And, I mean. I don't care about those individual awards, but he's got to get some MVP consideration. He's hitting 431 for Christ's sake in September with six homers, uh, 529 on base, 862 slugging, and and September alone. I mean, we are seeing a guy who's ready to put his team on on his back come playoff time. We are seeing a fully healthy Freddie Freeman, no wrist issues, no bullshit. Started out slow, 
because of COVID and has now just blown the doors off the fucking hinges in August and September, ready to rock in the playoffs. I mean, this whole lineup right now, Graham, is ridiculous. I mean, now that you see it healthy with Ozzy back and Acuna back, like, there's not many holes there. Really, the only hole right now is Marquecas, who's not hitting very hot right now, but he could turn that around. Um, yeah, I, I have a I have a bone to pick with your boy Snicker for hitting Duvall. I can't. I'm saying this hitting Duvall in the seven hole. What was he thinking? I think he's just doing it because he's there's a bunch of people on base in front of him and he hits grand slams. I guess, but I mean, would you rather give Adam Duvall more at bats or Nick Marquecas? Simple math. Sure. At this point, Duvall. I, yeah. So Duvall I, should be hitting fourth. I mean, I don't know. I would I would swap out Duvall and Darno. Well, you know what the problem might be? We, we know Brian Snicker's a big user of this podcast, and he probably heard you about a year or so ago saying Adam Duvall's not a major league quality baseball player. Well, he wasn't at that point. He certainly is now. And he's got how many homers in September? Here on September 16th? Ten, ten homers. He has ten home runs in September. Hmm. And we're only halfway through the month. With like 12 games left or whatever it is. That trade's looking pretty good all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah. Was I mean, it? if that pays off this year, then, then – I mean, it already has paid off this year, but if it can translate to postseason success, then, yeah, definitely definitely has paid off. Well, postseason um, su- success last year, and we know he's coming back next year, which is really big as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just – I mean, Duvall, yeah. Riley, Albies for seven, eight, nine. That's that's pretty nasty. Yeah, your li- the lineup is is stacked in the sense that anyone outside of Marquecas can go deep. Uh, even when Dansby went through a slump, there was actually uh, last week he was he was like one for eighteen or one for twenty or something. But when you look when you look a little deeper, uh, his batting average of balls in play was like oh sixty six or something, was just you know abnormally low. And apparently, seventeen of his eighteen at bats. Um, he hit the ball on the nose really hard. Like his hard contact rate was really strong on all, on all almost every single at bat outside of one. And so he was just getting a lot of bad luck. So it's not like Dansby has cooled off at all. He was just hitting the ball right at guys. So it's um, even when people are slumping, it's encouraging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's crazy how the the depth of the lineup. The one thing I, I have to say though that I haven't heard anyone mention, and I know it's a different game with the DH and everything. But you look at our current roster for, like, active roster, infielders, we only have one guy that can play infield right now uh, on the bench, and Echevarria. Mm-hmm. Like, with Camargo. Boy, Charlie Culberson was let go. Yeah, Culberson. Yeah. I, well, I think he's back in Gwinnett now, but Camargo's, Camargo and Culberson are down there. So, like, you pretty much have to run with this lineup all day like enders your only backup outfielder uh well that's not true you got well with the dh it pretty much is you got ender and edge it's just a different game with the dh um yeah you really don't have the need for pinch hitting any of these guys well and i think they've had to stack the bullpen with so many extra like they've got at least one or two extra arms down there right now than they normally would have um just because your starters are averaging like three innings a game um yeah, it's it's just a whole different game. So th- these are the guys. So hopefully everyone can stay on it, stay healthy, and uh, we'll ride them all the way. But I mean, I, having Ozzy back is great. I kind of underestimated Ozzy's presence to this lineup when I was pushing for a trade for a starting pitcher, which still maybe would have been a terrible idea. But uh, Ozzy's a beast. I'll say it. Yeah, and I'm really glad with like you know Austin Riley coming back down to earth a little bit to get a guy like Ozzy in the lineup. I mean, you look at what he's done since he's returned. Clearly his wrist problems are, are no more. Um, you know, he, he looked like he was swinging a damn limp noodle out there. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, in September hitting 379, 419 on base, 655 slugging with two homers and a couple of walks. Once again, playing his consistent defense at second base as well. Uh, he's given us a huge boost and further lengthen this lineup, which didn't even seem possible. I would like, you know, Marquecas should be hitting ninth if anybody should. I mean, Ozzy needs to be getting more at-bats than Marquecas. Everybody needs to be getting more at-bats than Marquecas right now. You don't believe in the old uh, bottom-feeding-the-top mentality? I mean, you can do that, 
for sure. But I also just look at the math. I mean, who who what do, who do I want batting more? Do I want Ozzy batting more or Nick Marquez? It's as simple as that. I don't give a shit about the bottom field and the top because the bottom doesn't have to if if you're getting uh, you know better players more at bats. You want to hear a, a ridiculous random stat I heard today that I haven't sure. fully fact checked and I'm not even sure if I'm repeating it correctly. I think this is you know if you're going to do it, this is the one place to do that. <laughs> The Braves are 13-3 and three in games that Tyler Flowers starts. I think it's purely coincidence. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's like saying, okay, this is a bad comparison, but I remember everybody was saying, oh, you know, Robbie Erlin and time alone, it's like 13 and we were, we were like 12-1 and one at one point with the games they started. It's like we weren't winning because of those guys. We were winning in spite of them. And that's not fair to Tyler Flowers because like he's not doing horrible or anything. But I think, you know, that has zero effect to me on our success. I'm going to find a stat that you uh, trust. War. Where's you know, Flowers has done fine this year. He's done bad. But Darno's a better player. Simple as that better um offensive player sure you could argue that i mean we'd have to really get into advanced analytics and see what the pitchers have done in the games that flowers has started and all that right but that's also not totally anyone's fault right i mean that's not totally on them like if a pitcher misses a spot that he shouldn't have that's not on flowers or darno you have to go a lot deeper you have to go and like pitch framing statistics and all that shit, which everybody says Tyler Flowers is one of the best at framing pitches. Yeah, I mean, we said that he he's got like the highest. Uh, well, I mean, look, look, all right, here we go, Grant War for twenty twenty. Travis Darno point one. Mm-hmm. Tyler Flowers point five. You said point one. Point one. Really? Yeah. Darno must suck defensively then. <laughs> well, there you go. There's something to it. I don't believe you. You don't believe me? I'm looking at baseballreference.com. Well, let's see here. Well, when you're right, you're right. Son of a bitch. It's like not believing coronavirus stats just because of perception, you know? Right. It doesn't exist because I don't think it does. (laughs) (laughs) What what are your thoughts on that, Graham? Well, I I think... my thoughts on that is that clearly the, the, the defense is playing into um, Tyler Flowers' favor. Because you look at, you know, Darno's having a really nice season offensively, 318, 377, 523 slash line, um, seven home runs. So, you know, he's having a good year at the dish for sure. No, I mean, I, I love him, but it's just uh, it's interesting. Do, do, do you think Snit looks at that come a, a game one start? No, I mean, well, here's the other thing, too. It's like if you look at – I'm actually starting to delve into his defensive metrics a little bit. Negative 0.7 D-war. So that's pretty that's pretty atrocious. Uh, has four passing balls and has made three errors. That, so that's big in compare, the playoffs. If you compare that with – if you compare that with Flowers – I tell you what you do, Graham. You get you get up big and then sub flowers for Darno, or you ex- or if you're or if you're up a little late in the game, you put flowers in there, or you accept uh, Osuna in left field. No, and, no, 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 and no. DH Darno and catch uh, flowers. So I mean, you could do that. I guess. Well, if you look at. Um, Look at Flowers' defensive stats. He's he's a he's a plus zero point three D WAR right now, so much better overall. Right. Only made one error. We'll, we'll figure this out now, Graham. Whatever. He also has only played sixteen games compared to Darno's whatever he's played. So Darno's played a lot more than Flowers. I don't. I uh, Darno's played twenty nine games. He's played thirteen more games. You think this is a moot? I, I, you think I, this is a moot conversation with all the other with, shit that's going on? <laughs> what's that? You think this is a a moot conversation with all the other shit that's going on? Yes, I would I would think so. But I, I cannot cope with your idea of putting Marcelo Zuna in the outfield under any scenario. We'll see. I mean, but may, maybe Flowers has that like 
what if Flowers and like Kyle Wright just really click? And you have to start Kyle Wright. And Kyle Wright's I, I, the only way I'm doing that is like when you say click, he's like you know pitching eight innings, striking out twelve guys. You know, that, that's the only way I'm, I'm doing something like that. Kyle Wright's got to prove to me a lot. He's got he's, the next. What was he have two starts left? Yeah, he's got to be I wish absolute we, daggers. I wish we had a, a for that to even be a possibility. Wish we had another couple of weeks of this season left, but it these playoffs are coming up. It's really sneaking up on us, man. I tell you what, man, I'm, I'm excited to watch Hamels tonight, though. Yeah, that should be fun. It, it, I think people are going to have the same reaction to Cole Hamels that they had in the Falcons week one. If he's great, people are going to freak out, even if he only throws uh, three innings. If he sucks, you know, people are going to lose their minds and, and declare the season over. What are the odds that uh, Noah throws like uh, six shutout innings in the playoffs to clinch a game? You know what was funny when I was watching you Noah last night was I was thinking about Nate Avaldi of the Red Sox that year in like 2018 when he was just un- unhittable, pitching like goddamn uh, Bumgarner in those epic Giants postseason runs where they won three World Series. And I was like, what if this guy just like, I don't know, for whatever reason, just becomes a fucking legend in the playoffs? Well, that's the thing with these, like throwing these young pitchers out that you can't, like, yeah, they're going to look shitty at times. But they're figuring things out. Max Fried looks shitty at times, but he was able to figure it out. And I mean, we gave Newcomb his chance. Like, yeah, he's done. Kyle, but Kyle Wright hadn't gotten his chance. Like, we should have kept him out there this whole time. Uh, yeah, Tukey's gotten his chance. I would say at this point, but Tukey's gotten a ton of chances. He's, he's started like four or five games in this juncture. Yeah. So unless like maybe. Maybe Fulty's actually like looks like a beast down there, and they're just saving him for Game Four of the playoffs, and they're not going to even Shit. tell anyone. You just got to throw him out there at that point. That'd be insane. Zero games. So it is just it's still so odd. They pull him after two games, and we haven't seen him at all, despite the Erlins and the I can't Malones and all these bums that were yeah. thrown out there. And Fulty's just doing God knows what. I think he's our secret weapon, Graham. Like literally a secret weapon. Like, he's in the bunker right now, just throwing BP to Chipper. Chipper's down there, t- keeping his eye on him. Um, <laughs> That's, that'd be great. I think, I think Chipper's Fulte, I think makes a playoff start w- without making any regular season starts. That's my prediction. Would you put your money where your mouth is? That's not a bet to put money on there. That's a wild right. speculation you throw out there. Everyone forgets it if it doesn't happen. But if it happens, what, you heard it What here if first. I gave you... What if I gave you ten to one odds? So if you lost, you only pay me ten bucks. But if you won, I would have to pay you a hundred dollars. Uh, I would do it for five. All right, I'll, t- I'll take that bet. That's a ridiculous bet. No, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> Watch it happen, and you just like throw your hat down. I, I would, I would be okay with that. Well, Adam, we don't have a lot of time left with the Braves this year for the regular season. We got this last game with the Orioles, three against the Mets, four against the Marlins, and then three against the Red Sox. The good news is we're three and a half games up in the division. We're all but assured a playoff spot at the very least. Uh, should win the division, barring an absolute catastrophe. And big, big That series against the Marlins is big. It is huge to decide where you're going to be in the playoffs, like, I mean, definitely. Like you, you get swept by the Marlins, things get weird. Yeah, because they're only up three and a half games on the Marlins right now. And you look at their schedule, and they, they've been, you know, they've done a good job against us. I know we beat them 29 to 9, but people forget that the two games before that, they kicked our butts. So they finish up with Boston, and then five against the Nationals, four against us, and then three against the Yankees. So I think they have a little bit of tougher sledding than we do, particularly with us and the Yankees. And they're probably going to have to face Scherzer at least once with the National Series, so... I think we're fine. Yeah. You know what's going to be crazy, though? If, the, if we have to play the Marlins in the playoffs for any reason, if Urania pitches, you just know something's going to happen with him and Acuna. True. I mean, the, Mar- I mean, the Marlins would scare me in a three-game series. They, they do have three really good arms. Yeah, that's um, six, Sixto Sanchez. He's an absolute monster. Yeah, he's the guy who came over from the Phillies in the Real Muto trade. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, he's a beast. So that would have been Ian Anderson would be going up against if we traded for Real Muto like everyone wanted us to. Right. But it, it's exciting, Graham. Um, at the end of the day, we bitch about the Falcons. Uh, we bitch about the Braves rotation. But it's nice to be bitching about sports again. And, like, you know, college football is pretty much all coming back now. Uh, we got baseball, obviously, football. Uh, basketball is in full swing. I haven't really watched much playoff basketball, to be honest with you. But I'll probably start watching once they get off TNT and get on the digital antenna. Uh don't tell Bridget that. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's awesome to watch sports again. Would, would you not agree with that, Junior? Oh, totally. I haven't oh, watched it, a, a second. I haven't hardly really watched any of the NBA, but, um, you know, it's nice that it's there if I do want to see it. Atlanta United's there, Graham. They're, they're doing terrible if you want to watch some terrible soccer. Talk about a team that needs to blow it up. I mean, you lose your best player. That'll happen, I suppose. Well, you I mean you, not just them, but you know you lose Almiron and LGP and a bunch of other of these guys, um, Lorenowitz, who I know is like the emotional leader as well. Uh, you're pretty much just left with and you trade Pity Martinez. Barco hasn't, I don't think, has lived up to expectations. Um, you know, you pretty much just got uh, a bunch of guys out there in Guzan. That's about it. So, I really wish people could go to games like. COVID wasn't a thing, so you could pack the bins and see see what the attendance would be like right now. It's, it's I'm guessing it would still be pretty high, but who knows? Who knows? Um, we do have a quick administrative word piece here, Graham. I don't know what that means, but go ahead. Intern Jared got fired this past week. Oh, yeah, he did. Due to, basically, due to lack of hustle and not being able to get us a stat quick enough i don't even remember what the stat was do you graham i don't he's also fallen way behind on his liquor and beer duties yeah I, i'm not even gonna scroll back far enough to find it but it was something that he couldn't find and then um one of our users sam crochet was able to find it very quickly and uh instantly got named intern sam um uh, intern sam's the one who brought up todd Gurley's positive traits in the passing game although i feel like he's close to being fired already because todd Gurley had two receptions for one yard Graham, that doesn't sound very good to me no but you also got to give Gurley a break because he's in uh dirt cutters offense and he only draws up plays for receivers so in the passing game okay we got to keep our eye on that though but uh, in, in turn, Sam shows a lot of enthusiasm. He has actual knowledge of Atlanta sports. He's been a uh, diehard Braves, Falcons guy. I don't know if he's a Hawks guy or not. We'll have to find that out. But uh, for longer than us. And uh, he's got some passion, so he's excited about it, and we might actually get some actual use out of him. Yeah, a little little old for an intern, but, you know, we'll, we'll definitely take all the help. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's, he's just breaking into the sports industry. He's uh, – he went like the law route, I believe, um, but he's realizing that's wasted time. Yeah, exactly. So he's trying to get into the sports industry uh, and, and do some like unpaid work for a podcast that some people listen to. So it's a no, noble effort for sure. Welcome, intern Sam. We'll have to bring him on air. I mean, it's it's a big. I mean, some of our past interns, intern Jared, was a Patriots fan that knew basically nothing about Atlanta sports. He thought he thought Chipper Jones was black, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> he's like, yeah, I love it too. He's just like, well, guy's name is Chipper. I mean, of course he's got to be black. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? You ever met a black guy named Chipper Chipper before? The guy had like a twenty year career. How had he never seen a single video of him? It's unbelievable. That's just another reason why he's fired. Terrible hire. Then we had intern Katie, who actively hated sports but was very creative. Sure. Um, We've gone back and forth a little bit, but intern Sam, we'll, we'll get you on air here at some point in time. Um, and yeah, that's the uh, administrative uh, session of the night, Graham. Fantastic. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that wraps up today's uh, episode of Atlanta Zone, Adam. Okay. So we hope you guys are staying safe out there and 
Thank you, however, and wherever you're listening to the show. And we'll see you again next week. Until then, rise up, chop on, stay in brotherhood, unite and conquer, and remain true to Atlanta. Hospitometer sip. Hospitometer sip.